0: Hello, welcome to Scripts for Shredding, my name is Elliot Brotherhood, and today we are talking about Mr. Doyle and the Doctor. This play, uh, I would say, is the most ill-informed play I've ever written, even more so truthfully than Tiberius Tungsten and The Mystery of the Milwaukee Militia, which doesn't seem possible, but truthfully, at least in that show, uh, as terrible as it is uh for point A to point B is pretty much historically accurate save for the things that I added uh this play not only subtracts certain historical uh facets I suppose of of the narrative but just riffs entirely like not really anything in this show is accurate except for the fact that these two it's a two man play or I suppose three, because there's, there's one character that remains off stage, but his voice can be heard at various points. Um, but it's primarily two, two men. Uh, and it's uh, about Arthur Conan Doyle and his experiences with Dr. Joseph Bell, who taught him about the, um, the uh, method of thought that Sherlock Holmes utilizes in the books, the method of uh, abduction. So, there's there's a lot that I could say about this play. Uh, it beat out uh, me and my drum in, in the uh, poll that I put out on Spotify, which was wonderful to see because, uh, you know, luckily I can put off talking about me and my drum until another date. But the double-edged sword here is that now I have to talk about this one. Um, so, a, a little bit of background before we uh, get right into this. Uh, this show was written with the intention of telling the untold story of Conan Doyle's uh, influences and 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 inspirations for uh, his famous, you know, series of of stories, Sherlock Holmes. Um and this thing that I found as I was doing some research, you know, when I was 15 uh, 14 15 years old, I so he, I should start with this. When I was 14, I did a production at First stage children's theater in Milwaukee by the name of the Baker Street Irregulars, which was a play written by a gentleman by the name of Eric Coble about um, the children that appear, the gang of street kids that appear uh, frequently in in the Sherlock Holmes stories, the Baker Street Irregulars, and it was based actually more specifically, it was based on a series of graphic novels of the same name and you know about the same thing and it was super fun i had a great time i would say that even to this day it's one of my favorite shows i've ever done it was super cool Uh, i got to play you know wiggins who was kind of the leader of the band and it was it was it was super fun i had a great time and it, it i i did a lot of uh preparation for that I say preparation like oh I'm an actor preparing but I watched Sherlock uh which you know and I I got super into it and I I came to really love those stories and and came to find a real interest in in uh you know Sherlock Holmes and the world of Sherlock Holmes so I was thinking about writing something in that vein and and I found this interesting thing as I was like kind of looking at stuff about it about this guy named Dr. Joseph Bell who was the primary, um, sort of inspiration for Sherlock, specifically in the method of observation that he used on certain patients that he had, which was, you know, the method of abduction. It's, it's referred to as deduction in Sherlock, and I I don't believe the two phrases are entirely, um, interchangeable, but they kind of mean the same thing. Use, making observations, uh, Small observations that kind of add up to a bigger picture. Uh, so, this play... This was sort of written in the same batch of shows that got upon this earth. And um, uh, Finding the Suit were written in when I was, you know, uh, sort of 15, 16. Or no, I was 14, 15. Uh, and this show... I did submit it for uh, the season at Next Gen uh but it never it never happened we didn't choose to do it uh because it was simply terrible <laughs> this show is is so i i know i've said that about all the shows so far but this one was truly even even by our standards we realized this is completely underdeveloped there's uh, it's not interesting it, it 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 is completely uh structurally unsound you know <laughs> so we didn't do it um and now i'm going to tell you about it in great great detail Um, so yeah it's kind of about the story of uh, how Conan Doyle came to come up with some of the things that he came up with in uh, Sherlock Holmes and uh, how he came to understand the method of thought that is known as abduction Uh, but you know it's uh, it's doesn't happen very, very well. Let's just say that. So, this is Mr. Doyle and the Doctor. It was 34 pages, and the word count was 6,363. So, oh boy. We start our play uh, in a doctor's office. You know, who to thunk? And uh, in this office is Dr. Joseph Bell. And he is—he uh, wheels a body on stage that is uh, in need of, you know, having an autopsy performed on it, I suppose. And um, so he's doing this, and he's—he's he's kind of silently working on this. And suddenly, Arthur Conan Doyle comes in and is introduces himself, and he says, "Hey." I studied at the University of Edinburgh and I sat in on some of your operations when I was a student. And, um... (laughs) Dr. Bell's like, oh, I guess I kind of remember you. And Conan Doyle's like, yes, yeah. Dr. Bell says some things about not filling his brain with unnecessary data, which is, you know, oh, Conan Doyle feels a little hurt by that, I guess. And, um, he... Is basically there to get his help writing this book, uh, but you know he doesn't need to tell Doctor Bell that he he's writing a book because Doctor Bell observed it by looking at him, which you know we'll 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 get to that later when we talk about things in more detail. Um. So he's con- he he Arthur Conan Doyle asks if Doctor Bell will teach him about abduction, and um, Doctor Bell kind of just says you know I can't really teach you that it takes years to really learn and understand and Conan Doyle says something about how he wants to have this story ready for Beaton's Christmas Annual which was you know a, a popular sort of yearly magazine uh, publication that came out in in England and and uh, Dr. Bell is just kind of confused about what he really wants from him, I guess. You know, because he can't really teach him. So Conan Doyle kind of keeps pestering him and he finally caves. Very easily. He caves very, very easily in in, in a conversation that we'll, we'll talk more about later. He goes over a couple rules he has in terms of what he expects as... He takes on Conan Doyle as, I don't know, his pupil, Um, and he basically says, never disrupt me while I'm working, and uh, listen to everything I have to say, because I won't tolerate having to repeat anything, and uh, he, you know, none of these rules really uh, mean anything to the story, and they are all broken expediently. so, in their first lesson, which, you know, Conan Doyle insists that they do now as he's doing this autopsy, they have this sort of back and forth as, as Dr. Bell shows him the things that they can observe on this body about, um, or the things that they can observe on this body to determine the cause of death without having any information as to what happened between the time that this dude died and is, you know, now sitting on this table. Um, we learn, I guess, not really much, other than, you know, Dr. Bell is very observant, uh, and that happens, basically, and that's the end of the scene, and then Conan Doyle leaves, and we're in scene two. Uh, so, in scene two, uh... Dr. Bell kind of goes over these three practices of abduction, and we will go over these because this is wild. Uh, and what he basically says is that this, the science of abduction is, you know, based on observation and all that, and that this distinct kind of observation must be practiced in three ways. Specifically, it must be detail-oriented, spatially-oriented, and situationally-oriented, uh, and all these, he kind of goes into all these things about how you know that those are the three things to keep in mind when you know thinking about this thought process. The crazy thing about that is that th- you know the the mental process of abduction is real and is a real thing, and and you know there is scientific, uh, there's a scientific method to it, I suppose, and these three practices within that do not exist. (laughs) I made them up entirely for this story because, you know, uh, I was, you know, 14, 15 years old. I didn't really have this. I didn't have the research skills necessary to really go into that, I guess. And I, and so I didn't, instead of doing the research on, on the scientific process of abduction, I just made up how it worked. (laughs) So... Uh, I guess those three practices are a thing. And so they have this conversation, Conan Doyle takes that in, and then immediately after that, Dr. Bell's like, I want to know about your characters. Tell me about your characters. And so uh, they talk a little bit about this detective that Conan Doyle has come up with, and he wants this detective to use um, the powers of abdu- of abduction that Dr. Bell uh, possesses. Then uh, we have this little, ki- th- this little thing where this kid, Charlie from offstage, Um, kind of chimes in, uh, about some patients that are waiting for Dr. Bell and Dr. Bell explains after this kind of little back and forth between Charlie that, uh, this kid is, uh, just a little kid among other kids that kind of loiter around, uh, where he works and he pays them a little bit to be his eyes and ears you can really tell that i wanted to ham fist a baker street irregulars thing in there because you know that's what that's gonna be obviously so that conversation occurs and after that uh you know dr bell kinda pushes conan doyle out and before he leaves Doctor Bell is like, I forgot to ask what you named this guy, and Conan Doyle says I was thinking of calling him Sharing Ford Hope, because uh, the Hope was a whaling ship that he worked on um, when he was younger, which is true. Uh, he worked as a, 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 a as a as a doctor actually on a, on a whaling ship, and um, so he he uses that name, and you know. And they're, they're, Dr. Bell's kind of like, I don't know that that name is going to work. And, you know, it's this kind of, oh, well, how are we going to, you know, the, the origin story of the name, which is a, a big thing that this place suffers from. But, you know, uh, other than the three, uh, <laughs> three completely falsified uh, pillars of abduction, I guess... They learn no abduction in this scene, and Conan Doyle leaves and doesn't learn anything. So then we we go into scene three, Uh, and in this scene, it starts with Dr. Bell in his office, and he is carrying a briefcase and two wooden swords. Uh, Then Conan Doyle comes in, Dr. Bell tosses him a sword, and in a strange fit, (laughs) uh, as soon as Conan Doyle catches the sword, Dr. Bell runs at him screaming, brandishing a weapon. And, uh, he, you know, Conan Doyle is freaked out and screams. And and he's like, what are you doing? And Dr. Bell says, I'm teaching you about spatial awareness. And they have this weird scene where they fence with wooden swords. For, I don't know, but to teach him spatial awareness, it doesn't really correlate, but it's there. Uh... So they do that, and then they start talking about his name again. And uh, Conan Doyle says, I'm not going to name him Hope, I'm going to name him Holmes. Oh boy. And then uh, we have this bit where, where Conan Doyle is talking about his first name. You know, he's got Holmes, what will his first name be? And he says, well, I've thought about um, a couple cricket players or something. Uh, Mordecai Sherwin was one of the and th- these this is real actually he did he did take the names of these two people and kind of amalgamate them and that was how he came up with the name sherlock um so he's like oh uh i thought of mordecai, uh, mordecai sherwin and uh what was the other guy frank shacklock those are the two names and there's this bit where oh we're trying to think of a name and you know they don't come up with the right one they, they which uh, well, i'll talk about it later uh but uh, so so that happens and uh they talk and and doctor they continue talking about it and doctor bell has some uh things to say about how he thinks sports are stupid or something which is weird uh <clears throat> and then they have uh doctor bell sarcastically suggests that he uh puts a character uh in the 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 story uh that is stupid he he says why don't you give holmes a like a, a duller partner or something. And Conan Doyle kind of says, oh, that's not a bad idea. And, um, the scene ends with them coming, you know, deciding on the name Sherlock Holmes. Wow. Uh, and then that's the end of the scene. Once again, not really sure what we learned about the process of abduction there, but I guess, uh, I don't know. Uh, so scene four happens and Conan Doyle comes in and he says, I've made some progress with these characters. Uh I, and he comes into Dr. Bell. He comes into his office while Dr. Bell is dissecting a human brain, which is, I guess, uh, and he doesn't say like he's doing it for research purposes. He's he kind of alludes to the fact that he's done this before. He's just doing it because he feels like it, I guess. Um, which uh, yeah i don't know i i don't know what i was thinking it, 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 i should say i wrote this one so long ago I, I did have to kind of brush up on as opposed to the the one i talked about in the last episode where that was kind of within the past couple like like within the past, the wheelhouse of five or six years i guess so it, it's easier for me to remember details of that this was so long ago that i kind of really can't remember where i was coming from on a lot of these things so i don't know why i decided to have him you know, pulling apart a human brain in this scene, but he is. um, And uh, in this scene, they talk about um, how Sherlock Holmes is going... D- Conan Doyle says, Sherlock Holmes will have a partner who is smart, but not as smart as him. His name will be John Watson. And he goes into, you know, Inspector Lestrade, Mrs. Hudson and all that. And Dr. Bell kind of points out, you know, you haven't really mentioned your your antagonist yet and conan doyle basically says oh i didn't even think about that (laughs) like this writer didn't think about you know maybe maybe there needs to be a force opposing my protagonist in this story and and you know he wants this ready for Beaton's christmas annual of this year and he's still you know coming up with the characters which is a whole thing that i'll talk about later but that's one of the biggest thing like one of the biggest holes in this story is we don't say you know when this story is taking place but presumably it's within nine months to a year of the book coming out and it's kind of implied in what conan doyle is saying that he's just coming up with the idea now and you know it took a long time to come up with it took a long time to come up with this stuff And the idea that I'm implying that he came up with the idea and had A Study in Scarlet written and just ready and the whole world was there in a matter of, you know, a handful of months is ridiculous. But uh, I digress. Uh, So, they talk about this bad guy that dr bell suggests and how can i do how can what, what 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 is the idea how can i how can i make a good bad guy and dr bell kind of says why don't you have him be a sort of guy that uh can rival holmes's uh intellect and conan doyle is like wow that's a cool idea i didn't think of that huh <laughs> Like, you didn't think of that. That's interesting. And then Dr. Bell goes into this, like, into the Jack the Ripper case. And he's he, he says something about how he was a consultant on the Jack the Ripper case. And he had a, a, a rivalry with another guy that was a consultant on the case by the name of Jackson, who wasn't a real person. And also, Dr. Bell was not <laughs> involved in... The, trying to track down Jack the Ripper. Um, And he uh, basically says, I had this rival with this guy. Uh, Maybe, and you know, he was a very brilliant guy. I had a lot of respect for him, but I hated him because he was, we were constantly trying to outsmart each other. And he's basically says, why don't you try to make the villain, um, the the, the dichotomy or, or the relationship between Sherlock and the villain more akin to a friendly rivalry than to purely opposing forces and I don't know that happens Uh, they have that conversation and then they have this weird point where Conan Doyle starts to realize that Dr. Bell seems to be enjoying his time with him more and he starts to kind of tease him and, oh, like, he he kind of avoids... And then we have this weird thing where Dr. Bell has this outburst and goes into, I guess, a tragic backstory about how I'm a doctor. I've fixed countless people. And, and the world only remembers them. The world only remembers them as heroes and, and, and survivors and, and their amazing stories. But no one remembers me. I want to be remembered. And he says... I'm starting to I'm I'm starting to um find myself attached to your Sherlock Holmes character because I'm thinking maybe that's my way of I don't know connecting with a world that has forgotten me or something which is a strange thing. And then, oh my goodness, they go they start talking about <laughs> a war hero in the Second Boer War. Who And I'll go into this story in more detail as soon as I'm done you know, relaying the overall plot, but this guy and the Second Boer War, which was a war that took place in, I think, South Africa, correct, uh, is a war that didn't take place for another 20 years at this point. This was, you know, in the 1880s, and the Boer War started in 1899, which I looked up just before I started this. It's crazy that I do that, and we'll talk about that in more detail in a bit. Uh, And he basically says, I uh, saved this guy, this war hero, and uh, everyone gave him all the medals imaginable. They said, wow, what a survivor, what a hero, and no one remembered me, which is weird, because I think that Usually the doctor gets quite a bit of recognition in those kinds of scenarios because you know it's a huge deal to save someone like that like a war hero and you know you they, they make movies about doctors that <laughs> and and you know write books about doctors that are experts in their field and and save people and you know it makes no sense that his he, he's like crying about I don't know, no one loves me, no one remembers me. And Which, uh, you know, that ends and, and Conan Doyle's like, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't realize you had such a tragic, I don't know, motivation in life and backstory and he kind of just leaves. Uh, and again, in that scene, no work on abduction whatsoever. Nothing at all. They don't make any headway in that. Conan Doyle is just not learning anything. So scene five, we open with this weird bit of Conan Doyle eating a donut and they have a kind of weird back and forth about it and he alludes to stealing the donut from a child. <laughs> um, and, and that's interesting. I actually, really quickly, before we move on, I wanna look up when was the donut invented? Uh, Mid 19th century. Okay, well, all right, yeah, donuts, were, donuts were a thing. Uh, I didn't know that at the time, but I mean, you know what? Checks out. All right. <laughs> uh, uh, five points to Gryffindor for sheer dumb luck, <laughs> you know, I guess. So, uh, sure. Cool. Um, uh, so they, they, they have that bit and, um, Then Conan Doyle starts talking about how he came up with this idea for a character that is sort of a love interest for Sherlock Holmes, Irene Adler. Um, And she's brilliant and Sherlock falls in love with her and all that. Um, Then, in a stunning twist of events, Dr. Bell says, Maybe we should focus on abduction today. Oh, and it should be said, for all intents and purposes, in the last scene, I forgot to mention this, They actually point out the the thing that brings um, them to talk to talk about how uh, um, Dr. Bell has this tragic backstory is that they kind of point out that they haven't been learning anything about abduction like and and Conan Doyle even is like he, he says something about well I feel like I'm wasting your time then and it's like no no Conan Doyle no Arthur you're not wasting his time he's wasting your time. You asked him to do something, and he's just not doing it. He's not teaching you. Um, And then, so (laughs) that's important to keep in mind, because in a stunning twist of events in this scene, Dr. Bell says, we should probably focus on abduction. And it, it says, Dr. Bell gets out an old knife from his desk drawer and hands it to Conan Doyle. And Dr. Bell says, what do you see? And suddenly, Conan Doyle is an expert at deductive reasoning and 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 the scientific you know thought process of abduction and and (laughs) making these observations you know my version uh, at least of being an expert uh uh, (laughs) you know as as well as i could do it for someone that had no idea what the first thing of the process was um and he he's like yeah this knife was used by a soldier and after listing off a whole bunch of uh (laughs) Of um, things that he observed about it and Dr. Bell says you've certainly been practicing and wow amazing that's really cool that he's been practicing all that and became an expert entirely off stage and we didn't get to see any of it and by page 28 it's kind of looking like we're starting to wrap things up (laughs) which you know we are then you know after that uh, after Conan Doyle's uh observations are correct Dr. Bell says they have this weird thing where um he's like yeah this uh knife belonged to an old patient of mine he was a soldier he took a bullet to the groin and then died (laughs) you know and he he says oh yeah he was a weak guy I guess (laughs) disgracing this man's legacy uh but you know I'm one to speak on that uh uh and then Conan oil leaves his office says I've got some editing to do. Uh <laughs> so basically uh from scene 1 to scene 5 uh he he learns maybe one or two things about abduction and then suddenly he's an expert and you know now I'm going to go finish my book. And uh they have this moment where they thank each other and they're kind of friends now and then scene 6 which is the final scene of the play begins with Charlie uh, T- uh, ...announcing to Dr. Bell that um, Conan Doyle is here to see him. they have this, Him and Dr. Bell have a really strange interchange <laughs> together. Um, and Conan Doyle comes in. Dr. Bell doesn't seem happy to see him. Dr. Bell tells him that the story was terrible... Uh, ...and that it was, you know, where were all the characters like Irene Adler... ...and Moriarty and all those characters that he was telling him about... And Conan Doyle says, no, I'm going to do this episodically. There are going to be more stories. Um, And suddenly Dr. Bell is like, wow, that's really cool. And Conan Doyle then places a a paper on Dr. Bell's desk. And Dr. Bell reads an interview Conan Doyle did with someone where he says some very flattering things about Dr. Bell. And it makes Dr. Bell very emotional. Because I guess the world sees him now. You know, because they didn't see him enough as a leading medical professional of his time <laughs> or something. And, um... Yeah, we talk about... Oh, Charlie really liked uh, the Baker Street Irregulars. He name-drops them because that was the only thing that mattered to me <laughs> in this play. And... Uh dr bell goes on about how he's going to be knighted which is interesting i don't i don't know was he knighted after let's let's look another google search shall we when was arthur conan doyle knighted 1902 hmm so let's uh this is right after Beaton's christmas annual came out right after the story of a study in scarlet came out let's look up uh, yet another google search When was a study in Scarlet published? Before I've even finished writing. 1887. In this world, (laughs) I guess they knight him a a good, um, you know, 13, 15 years early. (laughs) Good for you, man. Uh, wow, really (laughs) ahead of the curve (laughs) in my, uh, you know, version of this story. Um, and then, uh, after he says that he's been knighted, uh, Dr. Bell says, oh, he, he thanks Dr. Bell. Dr. Bell says, it was nothing, uh, which is funny because he's exactly correct. He didn't really, they didn't really do anything in this story. Um, and Conan Doyle says, no, Dr. Bell, it wasn't nothing. This story is your legacy. And, um, you know, <laughs> Dr. Bell ends the play. Conan Doyle leaves and Dr. Bell picks up uh, a copy of Beaton's Christmas annual and begins to read the first few sentences of Sherlock Holmes and is like wow this is my legacy and there's a blackout and the play ends weird really weird that um you know my legacy interesting it's not about you man it's it's a it's about a fictional character and truthfully no one knows your name <laughs> no one knew you any more than they did before so <laughs> oh my goodness it's it's just it, it's 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 so ridiculous there's no forward motion in this play that's really the thing about it it's kind of just things happening and then the play ends no one really i mean arthur conan doyle gets what he wants but he kind of just gets it without really do anybody really doing anything dr bell doesn't really do much it's more about um conan doyle coming up with these ideas which you know It's weird that Dr. Bell's even here, because he doesn't really learn anything about abduction from him. Conan Doyle, I mean. And, you know, just, it's kind of like some weird things happen that don't have anything to do with, you know, observation, as it were. And then the play ends. (laughs) He he just writes it. He writes the story. It's so, it's so, um... There's just nothing going on. Nothing happens. (laughs) Um, so let's let's talk about this this play in more detail. Let's start with um our autopsy. So, uh, we have this this beginning part where they are going through like oh they're introducing each other. Um, Beaton's Christmas Annual is a thing. I believe I think Beaton's Christmas Annual is still a thing. Right, no, it's not, oh yeah, no, no, it's not uh uh, it was printed yearly between the 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 um years of eighteen sixty and eighteen ninety eight so it is it is no longer a thing, so uh, I apologize, I misled you, um, so anyway, uh, he wants to learn right now, he wants to learn really quickly, expediently give he he literally says, give me the express course because I want to be ready by Beaton's Christmas annual, which is strange but you know at the very least he kind of has a completely not what like what I was even thinking about but at least he has kind of a he has a deadline he has a a goal so you know alright there's that um but they they talk about you know and they get to this point where he's he's like I will teach you about observations I will show you um about uh, show me what you see in this in this guy that I'm doing this autopsy on so he's uh, looking at the body, and uh, Conan Doyle just says, All right, well, he's a heavy set man, not overweight, but well fed. Uh, he has dirt on his face. <laughs> this is weird. Uh, he has dirt on his face, so he must have worked on a farm of some kind. He mu- That's a weirdly certain <laughs> fact to, to state. He has dirt on his face, so he must have worked on a farm of some kind you know i'm no i'm no expert you know i wasn't there but i feel like the mid to late 1800s in any like not just in england but anywhere you go was not the most clean of times you know and and maybe i'm 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 allowing my my perception that has been imposed upon me by by Hollywood films, you know, like by Dick Van Dyke and Mary Poppins running around with a face full of soot because he's, you know, a chimney sweep, you know, blind my my uh uh, uh you know better perception of, of, of what what was going on back then. But I just I feel like it was generally a time when People had dirt on their faces for a multitude of reasons. <laughs> can, can, are we really going to to say that that is the one and only thing that that, that could possibly mean? Oh, oh uh, you see a guy walking down the street that has dirt on his face. <laughs> that guy works on a farm. <laughs> what, what what can I say? What more evidence do you need? Uh, so that's, uh, you know, I guess he observes that. Uh... And then he says, you know, his leg appears to be broken, so maybe he fell and hit his head. Which, I just realized. I didn't even realize this as I was reading it uh, yesterday. But, he appears to have a broken leg, so maybe he fell and hit his head. <laughs> Is that really... I know that he he's trying to say, like, oh, maybe that's the cause of death, but... How does that co- he, he his leg is broken, that means he fell and broke his leg. <laughs> is that, I can't, like, that, oh, that's so weird. I can't even imagine why that was something that, how, how that, how I made that, uh, the, 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 how those, you know, how, what I was thinking as I wrote that. Um, So Conan Doyle asks Dr. Bell, you know, how'd I do? And Dr. Bell says, oh, I learned quite a lot from that. And Conan Doyle is like, really? And Dr. Bell says, Yes, really, I've learned that you are breathtakingly unobservant. Oh, wow. There are lots of lines like that in the show where, where Dr. Bell is kind of characterized as a very angry, kind of hateful person, truthfully, which I, I don't know if uh, that's true or not. From what I, I vaguely remember, I want to say that he was kind of characterized as being somewhat curt. Um, but I think that could very well have been, uh, a byproduct of his occupation. And also because he was a very, you know, he, he was very observant and I think analytical. So, you know, he was also, you know, the main inspiration for Sherlock Holmes. So, you know, there, there's also that, um, so Conan Doyle then asks, you know, what, what did I miss? And Dr. Bell begins to relay that, which Conan Doyle missed that being, um, So he kind of just says, uh, yeah, so this man does indeed work on a farm, obviously, you know, because he's got dirt on his face. He has to work on a farm. He has dirt on his face. Uh, But he says evidence of this not only lies in, you know, the dirt upon his face, but also the chipped and broken fingernails and blisters on the inside of his hands to telltale signs of manual labor. Okay, like, sure, I'll, I'll accept that. I'm not sure that it really means that he's working on a farm. But, uh, he says his right leg is broken, and yes, he did fall. However, he is not overweight. Keep that in mind, dear listener. Because, <laughs> you'll see. He's not overweight. If you, f- he it says, he, a parenthetical says... He puts his hand on the corpse's chest. If you feel here, you'll notice that he has multiple broken ribs. One of the right ones has been pushed upwards toward his heart, puncturing it. That is the cause of death. It says, however, if we want to go even further, we can deduce that this man was formerly married. Just recently divorced. (sighs) oh my goodness, as denoted by the fresh tan line on his left ring finger. Literally the thing he does in Study in Scarlet, or, or you know, probably as I was seeing it, a study in pink, the, the sh- episode of Sherlock from BBC. But what does that have to do with anything? Also, if you look at the, and then he says, also if you look at the bottom of his feet, you'll see traces of hay, so chances are he was in or near a barn when he died. All right, so the hay is, at least contributes to that. Not sure what being married <laughs> has anything to do with this, but also, he mentions before he goes into the rest of this this spiel, he's not overweight. He's not overweight. You'd think he was gonna say something about you know the the, the trauma or the 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 chest the trauma to his chest caused bloating or something, but he doesn't. He's just like it's like he's just saying, why'd you call the dude fat, man? he's not overweight. <laughs> he's a perfectly normal. <laughs> he's got a perfectly normal body mass index. <laughs> Why are you saying that? So that's kind of weird that he, he it says, no, he's not overweight. And then it, it, it seems like that's kind of something he's going to go into, uh, which if I, if I think about it, just looking at what I'm reading here, I think that pro- I, I probably was going to go into something of, you know, the way that, his ribs broke or something, caused some kind of inflammation or or bloating that makes it appear he's overweight. But I guess I just kind of forgot midway through writing this line. Um and then it says after he he does this, which, you know, it's like, you're trying to prove that he's on he he was a farmer. Why not start with the hay thing? Just just do all do all of that stuff. Uh make the make points that contribute to the idea that he's a farmer, I guess. But, but, but anyway, uh he, he, it says he realizes something and he goes, wait. And it says, Dr. Bell opens the corpse's mouth and sniffs inside. What a foul visual. <laughs> Dr. Bell opens the corpse's mouth and sniffs inside. Oh my goodness. It says something is clarified to him in doing so. Conan Doyle says, "Why would you do that?" <laughs> Which, you know, I love going back and reading this old, these old plays where simply ridiculous things happen. And this isn't super ridiculous, actually, but it is ridiculous. But but I love when when these things that are so odd happen, and someone reacts to, like like, "Why would you do that?" <laughs> that was weird. Why did you do that in front of me? And then uh. Dr. Bell says, uh, you can still smell the alcohol on his breath, not fresh, but not fully out of his system. He was drunk. So, you know, I guess that that's not terrible. It, it's it's weird and kind of eccentric, but it it makes sense when he does it. And it contributes to this idea, you know, he he was drunk and he died, and uh there are traces of traces of feathers on his hands, traces of feathers. Can there be? Tra- I mean, I guess there are. You can have like little tufts of it, so there can be traces, but that's kind of a weird thing to say. Uh, and then he says, "All right, he was tending the chickens in the upper balcony of the farm. However, was seriously intoxicated while doing so. He lost his footing and fell. He landed on his right side, resulting in the broken leg and ribs, one of which punctured his heart. So, uh, cool. The thing is, <laughs> uh." One of the things that Dr. Bell says is, you know, we get very little information on these people when they come in and we have to perform these autopsies. You would definitely have... Like, like when they found his body, they would have had that information. They probably... You don't need to be a genius when, <laughs> you know, you, you go into a barn and you see a guy laying on his, his you know, side with a broken leg and, and you know, dead... You don't need to be a genius to figure that out. They, pr- the people who who brought him in, probably told him he clearly fell from the upper, uh, the upper balcony. Man, he, it's there is no question as how this gentleman died. But you know, I guess Dr. Bell just wanted to show off or something. So uh... then that that ends that that concludes that um that that lesson, and the, uh, Conan Doyle leaves, and which brings us into the next part that I want to talk about. So we have this second scene where. uh... There's this whole thing where um, Conan Doyle is 23 seconds late to their 1.45 meeting. And Conan Doyle is uh, running around, I don't know, he's running around and uh, I, I'm so sorry I was busy or whatever. He comes in uh, and uh, D- Dr. Bell goes into these the, the three practices of observation in the method of abduction uh this is so weird uh this he says the science of abduction is based in observation or is, yeah okay good g- cool i i i read the the first sentence of the wikipedia page on on the the method of abduction great job elliot uh and then he says and this observation must be practiced in three ways Detail, spatial, and situation. Or situational. Hmm. Okay. Uh, You must observe and analyze the minute details in any one or more subjects and relate that to the space they are in and have been in. After this, you must relate all of these things to the situation that your subject or subjects have and are being exposed to. What a confusing sentence. (laughs) The wording here is so labyrinthian is a good word for it I suppose because it's so hard to it's hard to say these are the three integral mechanics of abduction if these are not followed you cannot make a well-thought-out observation 14 year old kid who who's just kind of trying to fake it till he makes it uh so that's goofy as hell um and then you know he he gives this speech Conan Doyle goes, right. And then, suddenly, Dr. Bell just says, oh, also, I want to learn about the characters in your story. And that's the end of the lesson. They never go back to it. (laughs) That's the the, the end of lesson. (laughs) And and truthfully, it's crazy, because other than the weird sword fight, which, you know, you can argue is a lesson in this story, at least, is attempting to be a lesson in abduction. Really, after this, they don't really talk about it again, though. Other than the sword fight they have, which we're about to get to. Uh, So they go into this thing about uh, that. And then Charlie comes in. And he says, Dr. Bell, Mrs. Keene was just admitted to the emergency ward. He says, oh, thank you, Charlie. I'll be with her in a little bit. And Charlie says, would you like me to make you a drink, sir? Dr. Bell says, no, wait until after I examine her. And it's kind of like, it's actually kind of funny, truthfully. I will say... This, this script does not suffer as much from the, the, uh, poor comedic timing. There are bits. There are li- two, two parts specifically that I can think of that are kind of odd and don't belong. But not nearly as badly as other ones. Not nearly as badly as Tiberius Tungsten, which, you know, is weird because that show was written a good three years after this one. Uh... But you know that's kind of funny. You know he he's got he takes his kid on and he's he's helping him out and the, the the he the kid knows which patients annoy him so he he offers to make him a drink. That's kind of funny. Uh, this character Charlie uh, doesn't need to nor should he be here truthfully because it's like why would you write a role for an actor that and all of his lines it says all of his lines are 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 yelled from off stage you're gonna hire an actor (laughs) so that he can stand off stage and yell things on stage this and we only hear from him uh uh one once more after this at the end of the play like it's so unnecessary and it's just because you know i wanted there to be some you know uh i wanted to somehow involve the Baker Street irregulars because that was very I guess near and dear to my heart I guess which uh, it's, it's, it's stupid I shouldn't have done it but uh you know I, I I'm trying to be polite to myself because I was like 14 14 or had just turned 15 I was I was just trying my best um so then we have this whole thing about the name the Sharon Ford hope uh and that's the end of the scene and then okay. Now we get to the sword fight. Oh my goodness, this is ridiculous. It's funny because, you know, in Tiberius, tungsten, and in the Frankenstein, when we kind of hit like like funny points, this show is so short that all the funny like we're hitting the funny points, but it's just the whole script basically. So that's you know, it's it's pacing isn't even like a thing in this show because nothing really happens. There's nothing really to be paced here, because. It, it, nothing's particularly happening other than them coming up with names for characters uh, you know and and it's like oh the origin of the name Sherlock Holmes wow it's kind of like like you know it's it's almost like I was viewing this through the lens of a kid that read a lot of comic books so um there's that and so we have this, this scene scene 3 Dr. Bell enters his office carrying a briefcase and two wooden swords weird that they're like wooden swords they could just be fencing foils but uh I don't know. I wasn't thinking. Uh, He sets his things on his desk. Conan Doyle enters. says, Conan Doyle says, good afternoon, Dr. Bell. Dr. Bell says, good afternoon. Catch. Out of nowhere, Dr. Bell throws Conan Doyle one of the swords. Uh, Conan Doyle barely catches it. And he says, why did you do that? (laughs) The stage direction says, Dr. Bell runs at Conan Doyle with his sword screaming. Conan Doyle, fearing for his life, screams and jumps out of the way. (laughs) Uh. Conadores says, "What the hell are you doing?" And Dr. Bell says, "Spatial awareness, my boy." <laughs> okay. Um, how is this a lesson in spatial awareness? You threw me a sword and then ran at me screaming. I'm not tuned into the space around me. I'm focused on you, the the screaming gentleman with the weapon <laughs> who is running at me in this moment. I'm not concerned about my space. Um, and, uh, then they start, I don't know, fighting and, uh, with the swords, um, and Conan Doyle is not very good at it because he's never fenced before, which I, I, I didn't think about this, uh, before I read this, but I did look this up and he wasn't a fencer. Conan Doyle did a lot of sports. He, He played a lot of sports, um, but he never fenced. So I guess that's, you know. Once again, sheer dumb luck. <laughs> but uh, I guess that's somewhat accurate that he didn't know how to defend himself in this situation. And um, so they're doing this, and and uh, Doctor Bell says, you know, you're not trying. And he said, and Conan like, what do you mean? Like I was trying to, I was trying to defend my life from you. And Doctor Bell says, no, you're not trying. You need to keep in touch with the space around you. If you want to properly fence someone, you must take into account, to into account where you and the person you are fighting are in the space. Another sentence that is absolute gymnastics <laughs> to, to, to comprehend. If you want to properly fence someone, you must take into account where you and the person you are fighting are in the space. <laughs> that, that is crazy. I, I, I feel like my brain's gonna short-circuit reading that. Uh... And and you know that 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 point doesn't really make sense because I'm not an, a fencing expert. I didn't know anything about fencing when I wrote this, obviously, but I feel like generally in the sport of fencing, you you obviously have to be aware of where you are spatially. But I mean, f- fencing is more of a thing. I I mean, I guess you could argue, you know, it's it's kind of about you know when to advance and when to retreat, but. <sighs> I don't know. It it just doesn't really seem to make sense in this setting to to bring that up. Uh, you you can't. He's like, oh, you need to f- pay attention to the details of my movements, without losing focus on your surroundings. And it's co- sort of this thing where uh, he he tells him you need to maintain eye contact with me, because an experienced fencer will always telegraph the next move by looking at the spot he's going to hit. I've trained myself not to do this, but I'll let you see how you. What? I'm sorry I, I had to like stop for a second because this sentence again another sentence that is is so impossible to understand the wording in this script is insane uh he says now I've trained my when referring to you know t- eye contact and fencing in, and which is a thing I'm pretty sure not well, I mean I guess it it's not really a thing I mean because you know fencers were masks right so you can't really make eye contact with them but you know i I know that that's a thing like in general like sword play or something um an inexperienced fencer will always telegraph his he's referring to you know you know that you know the eye contact and telegraphing the next move he says now i've trained myself not to do this but i'll let you see how you do if i do and i understand what i'm getting at he's basically saying I'll go easy on you and I'll basically telegraph my moves. But wh- why not just say that? Why why not say I've trained myself not to do this, but I for the sake of this exercise I will not I I will not concern myself with where my eyes wander, which you know that that doesn't sound exactly <laughs> what like what should be said, but um Basically, they start fencing again and Conan Doyle starts to hold his own because he's seeing and, you know, then uh, they have this whole bit where, uh, <laughs> um, I don't know, they, they continue doing this and detail and spatial awareness or something and uh, then they go into the whole thing and, and that's it. And, and basically, after that, that's basically the last lesson on, you know, observation and abduction we see for the rest of the play. Like... Whoosh. Goodbye. <laughs> Never to be seen again. Uh, you know, despite the fact that it's kind of what the whole play's about, um, or supposed to be about. So then they have this weird bit where they talk about the names. And um, he brings up, you know, I've come up with Holmes. I'm thinking about these two names that I found from these cricketeers. Or is that what they call them? Cricketeers? Cricket, cricket what do they call <laughs> cricketeers is it let's 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 go to google again what are cricket players called batsmen <laughs> okay don't know where i came up with cricketeer i thought that's what i read <laughs> yeah no i i misread that i guess i thought it said cricketeer and i kind of (laughs) uh uh naively i i I trusted that when i wrote that down when i was 15 years old i knew what i was talking about uh (laughs) cricketeer that's so dumb uh so uh he comes he finds the two names of these uh cricket players I almost call them cricketeers again. Uh, cricket players. Uh, so there's, uh, you know, Mordecai Sherwin and Frank Shacklock. And they're, they're kind of like, oh, let's uh, amalgamate the two names. And then Conan Doyle, there's this bit, I've got it. I'll name him Shackwin Holmes. Oh, I did the wrong ones. Blah. And then Dr. Bell says, you know, how about Sherlock? And they say, oh, Dr. Bell's, oh no, it's horrible, blah, blah. Then he makes this weird joke. He says, what is he? Some kind of, home security company and then he says mockingly don't forget to sure lock your doors at night what what do you mean home security this was 1800s england <laughs> we had, you know <laughs> sickness was running rampant in the street people were dying in droves because of you know sickness and 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 <laughs> jack the ripper running around home security what are you talking about? People didn't have freaking ADT back then. Don't forget to Sherlock your doors at night. What a stupid thing to say. Nonsensical. Absolutely, you know, another joke that doesn't make sense for the time period. Um, then he says, Dr. Bell says some things about how he thinks sports are mindless and rely on brute strength, which, truthfully, <laughs> that's weird. I feel like that was, that's weird. Cause that's not true. You can't argue that's true at all, but you know, I, I digress. Um, (laughs) uh, so, but you know, they're talking about how he's saying, Oh, sports are stupid. And Conan Doa says, that's not true. I've gotten lots of inspiration from cricket. And Dr. Bell says sarcastically, Oh yes, I'm sure. In fact, why don't you give Sherlock Holmes a disturbingly stupid partner? It'd be a good counterweight to Sherlock actually, you know, actually, you know, using his brain. That's weird. That's weird that he... he... <laughs> and then Conan Doyle says, that's not a bad idea, actually. Like, is John Watson really a disturbingly stupid partner? Is that really what he... What... Conan Doyle was really like, huh, I've made this genius detective who who can deduce almost anything just at at a mere glance of someone. I think I should give him a disturbingly stupid partner. <laughs> just ridiculous. Uh, so you know, Conan Doyle acknowledges this is kind of a good idea, and then Doctor Bell come, you know, like a bat out of hell, just comes out so aggressively in this next line. And and it so it says Doctor Bell. There is a parenthetical informing this line. It is one word, and it simply says savage (laughs) savagely he says this apparently um and and you know it's accurate because this is a really aggressive line all conan doyle says is hey that's kind of a good idea maybe i'll do that and dr bell says does your brain receive any oxygen you stupid cow (laughs) no one would ever even slightly be interested in a concept like that Wow, what, a, what a, an aggressive response. <laughs> Does your brain receive any oxygen, you stupid cow? What? And then Conan Doyle says, Of all the things you've ever said to me, that was the least nice. The least nice. And it's a, he says, in a parenthetical, writing it down, I have to use it somewhere in my story. What? <laughs> what? That's ridiculous. Does your brain receive any oxygen, you stupid cow? That's not like the kind of thing that Sherlock Holmes even like says. So how, why is that even, why is this bit of him hearing this in here? Uh, and then, you know, it ends with them, I guess, deciding Sherlock Holmes, huh? And that's the end of the scene. Then this next scene comes in and uh, uh, he talks about some of the other characters uh and they talk about okay so then we have the jack the ripper bit this is weird he he's this is when doctor bell comes up when when you know we have this you know moment where we really see conan do- my version of conan doyle being a big brain smart guy um where doctor bell says uh do you have an antagonist a simple question for any writer you know, and it's funny that, uh, uh, he, so he says, do you have an antagonist? And Conan Doyle goes, antagonist? No, I suppose not. I I, I don't know how this didn't occur to me. I suppose an antagonist is important. And it's funny because, you know, I I for the life of me, I can't really imagine what the antagonist of this play is. Now that I think about it, I guess you could say, you know, it's... What kind of conflict could you say this is? Man versus self, I guess? Like, it's not really man like i guess that's really the only thing you can really think of i don't know um but you know conan doyle the brilliant writer you know i guess what six months out from Beaton's christmas annual being being published and he he doesn't even have an antagonist for sherlock holmes yet he hasn't even thought of it and dr bell with this dumb line where he goes he says, I suppose it, I suppose, an anti- Conan Doyle says, I suppose an antagonist is important. And Dr. Bell goes, elementary even. If you've read Sherlock Holmes, you know that that line is never in there. And that's like one of the biggest points of contention <laughs> between like people who actually read it and, and those who, you know, elementary, dear Watson. Like, that's not in it. What? Ugh. Goodness. But then um, to give Conan Doyle inspiration... Dr Bell tells this strange, you know, not based in fact in any way story of him being on the Jack the Ripper case where um you know Conan Doyle's kind of like uh how do I how do I do this what how do I write this villain? And Dr Bell says, "Well, years ago I was commissioned to provide medical evaluations for a string of murdered women throughout London." <laughs> and Conan Doyle goes, what the jack the ripper case <laughs> a string of murdered women that must be jack the ripper right <laughs> dr bell goes uh yes that's what it was i worked with a fellow I, I i worked with a fellow named uh jackson we developed a certain rivalry over the course of the case and and conan doyle says you've been involved with multiple police investigations and dr bell says yes i'm a consulting medical advisor Huh, you know what, we've been, again, let's just keep the, keep the theme of consulting Google, uh, going. Was, was Joseph Bell a consulting medical advisor? No, he wasn't, basically. I I see nothing here, uh, for it, so... Nope, that's just another made up thing. <laughs> so, um, huh. Conan Doyle says consult. Like you can tell, it's it's because it's it's. I was thinking, well, we have to come up with the origin of every minute detail of Sherlock Holmes. You know, like a Marvel movie or something. So, <laughs> you know, this is how Conan Doyle comes up with the idea of Sherlock Holmes being a consulting, uh, detective. Because Doctor Bell is a consulting medical advisor. It, it's it's so stupid, um. And he kind of goes into how uh, uh, this guy Jackson, he says, was a pain in my ass for a long time. He always made a point of trying to uh, deduce, uh, find more evidence and deduce certain things that I couldn't. Uh, he said, th- and then he says, like, I remember he actually proved that the culprit of the murders was going underground to the sewers and hiding underground when he wasn't committing his murders weird not at all like that, that's just strange and he says like oh yeah he traced the residue of his footprints left behind to like the sewers or something or like, like he, tra- he, he somehow in in the 1800s ha- uh, synthesize or like somehow uh uh, uh found that the chemical makeup of the residue from his footprints was matching the sewer water, which doesn't make any sense. Um, and also, the Jack the Ripper case, one of the most infamous serial killer cases ever in recorded history, poss- if not the most infamous. I'm just making up a key detail here um, that is completely fabricated. It's, it's just, it, it, it's, you know, huh, weird. Um, and you know, he goes into the killer had never, it was never caught. And and he says, the killer was never caught. We would have caught him though, if Jackson hadn't been put on the case. And that's an interesting thing to say, because based on what you just said, it seemed like this guy, Jackson was kind of on the killer's trail more than you were. (laughs) It seems like, you know, I wish this guy, Jackson was a real guy because it kind of seems like he he was on the on the verge of solving the case. <laughs> so I guess that's his uh um that's Conan Doyle's inspiration for Moriarty or something um and and you know they talk about oh you know he can uh, Sherlock and uh more uh the villain Moriarty can kind of have a mutual respect for one another. That that's a fun idea. And then uh, Then we go into this weird part where, um... Truth, it's... Okay, so I'm just gonna read it. Uh, Dr. Bell says, What are you staring off into space for? And Conan Doyle says, Have you realized that for the past few meetings we haven't worked with abduction at all? (laughs) Like, you can tell, I totally, like, realized. This is page 22. On page 22, I realized, Oh, crap. (laughs) This plays about Conan Doyle learning about... (laughs) this this method of thought and I'm like midway through this show and I just realized I haven't been working with this at all so instead of stopping and reconsidering going back and rewriting and reconsidering the structure instead I did what I do we see me do in Tiberius Tungsten which is let's just call out this blatantly obvious thing this blatantly obvious problem with this story And just hope that the fact that we've called it out means that it's okay. (laughs) So uh, he says that. Have you realized that for the past few meetings we haven't worked with abduction at all? Which is is me kind of saying that to myself truthfully. This is is not Conan Doyle saying this to Dr. Bell. This is 15-year-old Elliot saying this to 15-year-old Elliot. Um, Dr. Bell says, yes, I'm aware. Conan Doyle says, so I'm wasting your time then, aren't I? Which is funny because, no, it kind of feels like if Dr. Bell's not teaching you, he's wasting your time. But uh, Dr. Bell kind of is like, oh, I'm still working. It doesn't matter. Um, and Conan Doyle starts teasing him. Could it be that you're actually beginning to enjoy my stories? And Dr. Bell gets defensive and ultimately have has this breakdown. Or not breakdown. <laughs> it kind of is a breakdown, though. He says, Dr. Bell, could it be that you're beginning to feel a certain attachment to Sherlock Holmes? And Dr. Bell says angrily. Maybe I am just a bit. Is that bad? Is that a sign of weakness? <laughs> for once, I embrace something that isn't purely, purely analytical, and you make fun of me for it? Perhaps I am becoming attached to Sherlock Holmes because I feel like it's the only inkling of me that will live on in the world once I'm gone. That's a kind of myopic lens to view this whole situation. Is that really what you what you think of Conan Doyle's story? It, it, it's about you <laughs> this is why you're doing and it's funny because you know then he goes into uh you know i've devoted my life to helping people i've fixed you know countless soldiers seafarers politicians you name it all the world remembers them you know they were broken then they got fixed they're survivors they're heroes no one remembers me which is ridiculous but like it's weird because we have this odd moment where he's he's having this... Uh, oh, suddenly, out of nowhere, suddenly we find that he's, like, discontent with his life or something, and it's kind of like, yeah, Who's the protagonist here? Is Conan Doyle the protagonist, or is Dr. Bell? <laughs> it, it, it doesn't make sense. Are, are we watching Conan Doyle's journey to coming up with Sherlock Holmes, or are we watching Dr. Bell trying to reconcile uh his lack of um I, I don't know recognition in life or something it doesn't it doesn't make sense uh and he has this kind of thing where oh i i uh <laughs> he wants people to know that he, he's a guy and that he helped people i guess and conan Doyle's like oh, i'm so sorry i didn't know that and, and then like this scene ends with the the scene doesn't end. I, I I scrolled down and saw something that that shook me to my core. I forgot about this. The uh bit of the Boer War, second Boer War. Uh, Conan Doyle says, "Don't you think the people you've saved will remember you? Surely they'd never forget the man who saved their life." And it's it, this is such a weird thing to, like, argue about or or otherwise make a point to talk about because. I feel like, generally speaking, doctors are well remembered, especially those who who are. I mean, I don't know if well remembered is the way to put it, but they get recognition. Like they get plenty of recognition for. And I, 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 I want to backpedal on that. Not always plenty of recognition, but they do get recognition if they're a very if they save people's lives, like Doctor Bell did, and and you know, Doctor Bell did get. Recognition. He was very. Let's. No, we'll do that that later. Uh, but uh, he he did get recognition for it. So what is this point? Uh, other than you know me trying to make him into some somehow a pitiable person. Uh, but then Doctor Bell says, to in response to you know these people would never forget the person who saved their lives. He says, if they do, it's only for a certain amount of time. And then he says, have you ever heard of Lord Baden Powell? Hmm. Um, Conan Doyle, weirdly, <laughs> knows exactly who this is. He says, yes, he's a decorated military hero. He fought in the Second Boer War, correct? And the anglo asante Siege of Muff King? S- and several others, too. It's kind of... <laughs> this is so ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> Lord Baden-Powell, decorated military... <laughs> it's kind of like... Like, I was trying to, ma- to, to make sure the audience knew that, you know, hey, I, I know what I'm talking about. Hey, I know what I'm talking about. Conan Doyle basically just relays the first sentence of probably his Wikipedia page, where, <laughs> have you ever heard of Lord Baden-Powell? Yes, he's the decorated military hero who fought in the Second Boer War, on the Anglo-Asante War, on the siege of Mafking, correct? Right? And others, uh, several others, too. Is that the guy you're talking about? Like, <laughs> it's, it's so ridiculous. Like, Conan Doyle just knows instantly. And it's crazy, too, because... He says, oh my goodness, he says, have you heard of War Baden Powell? Oh yeah, he's the decorated military hero. The war that he's talking about didn't even happen for like 15 years from this point. The war hadn't happened yet. What are you talking about? It's insanity. It's crazy. And then, oh my God, it says, Dr. Bell says, yeah, I, I operated on him when he—I when he, operated on him when he had a lead pipe shoved into his lower intestine and pancreas. It, what do you mean you operated on him? That man is dead. He had a lead pipe shoved into his lower intestine and pancreas. Is that even physically possible? Let, let's consult Google again. Into was lower intestine where is the pancreas where is the pancreas located show me a picture here the pancreas is quite high on your abdomen and just looking at a picture here the small the, the large intestine is lower the pancreas it's literally <laughs> this is ridiculous the large intestine is at the lower point of your chest where the pancreas is at the higher point did this guy just get like completely impaled just right through his body? This man did not survive this. There's no way. Dr. Bell then goes on to say it was one of the hardest operations I've ever performed. He almost died four times. I operated on the, on the bastard for 16 hours of straight 16 hours straight before I got that damn pipe out of his chest. If you're complaining, about not being recognized if this man got skewered Lord Baden-powell became the first ever human kebab <laughs> and you're saying how, how can you possibly argue that you didn't you did this and you're saying this man survived he says he says his recovery was considered a miracle by everyone in the country go for freaking figure man the guy was literally impaled (laughs) through uh, upwards through his body and he survived and you're saying that you somehow weren't your your talent wasn't recognized for that you of course everyone viewed that as a miracle because it should not be physically possible that he survived and he was and he says he was given all the medals and awards you can think of you know, in fairness, I feel like he kind of deserves it. The man went through it for his country. Give the man a break. And there's no way, there's no way in hell that if Dr. Bell did that, he would not be recognized. People would revere him as a god. <laughs> this, How did this man do this? <laughs> he he, he Save this man that was a la Vlad Tepesh. Just... completely run through uh, up and down and uh Conan Doyle says you weren't given anything for that were you you weren't given and you weren't given anything were you and Dr. Bell goes not so much as a thank you I highly doubt that uh and then it says a few years later I ran into him and his children at the beach, a miraculous recovery, the guy's walking around taking a swim with his kids, <laughs> after, after this incredible, terrible, terrible injury, uh, he says, and when I said hello, he didn't even recognize me, how, how did this man, you, 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 you put his, you put his insides back together, man. You you put every you you, you really you really tell me that he didn't recognize you. Oh, goodness me! That that what a ridiculous a ridiculous thing! I totally, I totally forgot about this part. I literally had no recollection of writing this, and and the the Second Boer War, which took place in South Africa, yeah, eighteen ninety nine to nineteen o two, like what. The, the 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 only thing that could make this ridiculous story any worse is the fact that Lord Baden Powell hadn't been to the Second Boer War, and the worst part, you know what the funniest part is? I I did before the episode, I did some reading on Lord Baden Powell, and I looked at his uh, service uh, that he, you know, the the, the service that he. Uh, uh, offered in, in the second Boer War there is zero r- reports of him being injured m- m- man went to the war and came back completely unscathed <laughs> and for no reason at all in this play I just totally violate him <laughs> by saying that he was you know <laughs> if I if I may put it plainly Skewered, you know, ass to mouth, <laughs> upwards, like like a freaking lollipop. Um, <laughs> and it just it somehow comes out of that to- totally okay. And so you know, he says, "I want people to sing my praises." Is that too much to, to ask in life? <laughs> after I I, I I saved this, the, 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 no one no one had even a thank you for me after I you know. <laughs> cured the human kebab uh and so conan doyle is saying and so weirdly this leads to like kind of contention between them and conan doyle kind of leaves and dr bell is left alone huffing and puffing i guess and scene five this is the donut bit this part's so weird uh it says dr bell enters his office with a donut conan doyle enters conan doyle says good morning he says is that a donut Doctor Bell says sarcastically, "No, it's a handful of nails." Okay, um, that's why you need to like be a jerk about it. Like, all right. Conan Doyle says, "Sorry, you just don't strike me as the kind of person that likes sweets." Doctor Bell says, "I don't. I forgot to eat breakfast this morning, so I stole this from a toddler while his parents weren't looking." <laughs> why is Doctor Bell a monster? Like, this man was a doctor. This is a man who who. <laughs> Took the Hippocratic Oath. And you're telling me that he's stealing donuts from children? Donuts? <laughs> Why? Konodo says, Well, wasn't that just pleasant of you? Dr. Bell says, bloody kids screams nearly deafen me. Konando says, You did traumatize the child. And Dr. Bell says, Yeah, but I was hungry. <laughs> what? I had a choice between letting the child have a happy memory with his parents and not being hungry. And Conan Doyle says, a dilemma as old as time itself. And Dr. Bell says, it's clear which side I chose. Uh, and then it says, they both laugh. For the first time, Dr. Bell seems to be making known how much he is enjoying his time with Conan Doyle. Re- what? <laughs> um, so then he comes up with, you know, he tells him about the idea that he has for Irene Adler... Uh, And then, you know, perhaps we should focus on abduction today. You know, it does occur to me that, that, uh, you know, you you consulted me for help. You know, seeing as I am a consulting medical advisor, that you uh, consulted me for help with learning about abduction. And I just kind of haven't taught you, so maybe we should focus on that today. So he gets to the knife and he says, uh, Dr. Bell says, what do you see? Conan Doyle takes a careful look all around the knife. And he says, well, to start, it's somewhat old. Not very old, mind you, but maybe 20 or 30 years years old based on how the rust has accumulated on the blade and the dirtiness of the entire thing uh, It was used often and the owner clearly had sweaty palms. This is apparent in the discoloration and chipped wood on the hilt. I guess, is the hilt, is there a hilt of a knife or is it just kind of a handle? To the blade is badly dulled. blah, blah, blah. And he does, suddenly he's just an expert. Like, he, 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 Dr. Bell, you've clearly been practicing. Cool. We didn't see any of that. That sucks that we don't get to experience the part of the play where he learns the thing that, he, the, the, that you know, sparked the inciting incident. And therefore, the, the action, if you could even, or, or, you know, lack of thereof, you know, if you could even call it that in this play. Uh... And, you know, then then he says, you know, who did this knife belong to? And Dr. Bell says, an old patient of mine, a soldier who took the bullet to the groin. Conan Doyle says, ouch. Dr. Bell says, ouch is right. He died, unfortunately. <laughs> Whoa, bring it down. Ouch is right. He died. Uh, and Conan Doyle says, his injury was that bad? And Dr. Bell says, no. He screamed so much, he literally suffocated himself. <laughs> what? Dr. Bell says, yes, he was the weakest soldier I've ever known. He was the weakest soldier I've ever known. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, yeah, and then they, the, the, that ends and they and then we have this scene. Scene six. Scene six starts with an absolutely unacceptable um, <laughs> uh, interchange between Charlie and Dr. Bell. Charlie comes back into the show for no reason at all. And he says, Dr. Bell, someone's here to see you. Dr. Bell says, <laughs> of course, if it's Mrs. Wiggins, just so dumb. Wiggins is the name of the kid from, you know, Baker Street Irregulars. He says, if it's Mrs. Wiggins, tell her for the 10th time that's not a mole on her buttocks. She just doesn't wipe properly. <laughs> that is such weird toilet humor to suddenly have in this play what this woman has come in routinely how stupid do you have to be to come in routinely to a doctor 10 times to a doctor and say there's something wrong there's something there's a growth on my butt (laughs) and for the doctor to how many times does the the doctor have to tell you ma'am that's human feces you're not wiping properly and and you know how does the uh it, it's ridiculous so Charlie lets Conan Doyle in Conan Doyle comes back in and and uh, you know Dr. Bell is um annoyed because he's like you didn't where's Moriarty where's uh 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 you know all, all the other guys Irene Adler and all those guys and he makes a weird joke what kind of name is a study in Scarlet it, it's so sissy you might as well have called it a study in pink which is the name of the episode from sherlock the bbc series uh, that is you know adapted from studying scarlet which is just so ridiculous there's so much stuff like that where it's like you know easter eggs and references and stuff like it's like some kind of superhero thing it doesn't it's it's ridiculous uh and so then you know he talks about how uh you know uh, the Beaton's christmas annual said i should do it as a series and then, you know, Dr. Bell gets sad because he says, he re- he reads the interview and he says, uh, it, d- where he sees that uh, Conan Doyle is quoted with saying, I owe, owe everything to the brilliant Dr. Joseph Bell, the real Sherlock Holmes. Dr. Bell is incredibly skilled. Um, the most brilliant man I've ever met. Dr. Bell is overcome with emotions. And it says he walks over to Conan Doyle and flings his arm around arms around him. Conan Doyle is exceptionally taken aback by this. Um... And I guess they're, like, friends now. Uh, And Charlie adored the gang of kids. Oh, the Baker Street Irregulars. (laughs) Like, what a why? And then he said, "I, I noticed that you're going to be knighted. Like, my man, Arthur Conan Doyle, wrote one good story. And the queen was like, I like that. Knight that bastard. <laughs> get, get, get out of the sword and do the thing. He wrote a story that I kind of liked. Like like that's that, is that how, how how low the standard is for, for, for knighting? Um Dr. Bell says testing it out, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Conan Doyle says it doesn't fit. <laughs> Hilarious. Um and then it ends, you know, it ends with that. Bit of him uh, reading the first couple sentences of a study in scarlet, a book that I had not read, of course, as I wrote this. Um. So, what would I do differently? How would I salvage this show? It's that's it, an interesting question, and I've thought about it a lot over the past couple days because, uh, truthfully, I would say that in, like nowadays. At where I am now, writing primarily children's theater and stories and all that. Uh, this is just a show that doesn't interest me in writing. So, like the the thought that comes to mind, it's not how I'm playing the game. I'm not. I'm not just gonna say you know I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't do this now because you know I, I wouldn't. Truthfully, it's not an area of interest. I would totally go and see it, but I, I wouldn't write it nowadays. But if I had to, um, you know, I rem I, 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 something that I recalled as I was I was looking through this again was. There was this really interesting story of Conan Doyle as he was working on Sherlock Holmes. He... He helped to solve sort of like a mystery or something about, uh... Basic, he, he he helped solve a murder. No, he did. Okay, so yeah. Um, he, he did help to solve a murder case as he was preparing to write the, um, series. And... He did all this detective work, and it was a super interesting story, actually. I remember reading about it around the time that I was, like, thinking about, you know, doing quote-unquote research for this show. That's really interesting. The story of Dr. Bell is interesting, but the funny thing about it is when you really g- go online and look look at things about... You know, the, 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 he, this is true that he did sit on... When when Conan Doyle was... uh a student at the University of Edinburgh, he did sit in on some of Dr. Bell's observations. That was a true thing. That really happened. But that's kind of the extent of it, you know? He, he he knew Dr. Bell well enough to know that, you know, he's this guy who does these crazy observations at a glance, you know, and Dr. Bell was that kind of guy. People said that, oh gosh, this is like one of the only details I can remember, I can remember from the, the, the research that I, I did on the show at this time. But he... He would be able to tell things about people simply at a glance. You know, he'd say, "Oh, you, uh, th- this guy uh, is uh, this because of this and this and this." You know, like Sherlock Holmes, basically. Um, but really, they they didn't. It, it, Conan Doyle didn't consult him for his help. He 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 just was inspired by him because of the limited um, experiences he had with him. So even though it's it's like kind of fun, you know. Oh, th- that's cool. This guy was basically the real Sherlock Holmes. Um, their relationship. This entire thing is basically fabricated because their their relationship was never this close. What's really interesting, though, is the story of that. Don't. It's the story of that that case that he helped solve. Solve the real detective skills that Conan Doyle himself was capable of. Instead of doing this story where you know it's kind of like a Marvel movie where oh he comes up with the name. This is the origin of the name for Sherlock Holmes. This is the origin for you know him saying elementary, even though that's not a thing he says. You know. Instead of doing all that, do this show about this murder case that he helped with, because those things those the 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 echoes of what he is going to do in Sherlock Holmes will exist naturally within that. It'll be such an interesting story truthfully to to see because you'll be watching Conan Doyle kind of embody Holmes and and therefore find homes in himself and and that that's that that's the way to do it um but you know I, I did this with Tiberius too so I'll do it here if I was locked into this story with Dr. Bell don't do this ridiculous thing where where it's I want to have this story ready by the end of the year or something because that doesn't make any sense and it's simply ridiculous um I, it's it's hard to do because it's you know there's there's no real real i guess (laughs) conflict here they they just kind of do things and and nothing really happens so it's hard to say what like i would do differently with this one i would just completely trash i i can't even like it's hard to even say with dr bell because uh, what what i really i think a good idea would be to um or, or the best idea that i could think of is instead of doing this thing where he consults him for his help have it be conan doyle went during his time at the university of edinburgh and you know he says i sat in on some of your op- operations I, an interesting idea is it's dr bell and conan doyle are the are the main characters in the show and they never speak they, they, they purely see each other in passing. Conan Doyle is observing Dr. Bell, and Dr. Bell is kind of aware of Conan Doyle's presence, but they don't really have any direct interactions. And we just see through the story of Dr. Bell having these uh, observation abilities, as it were, and, um, uh, you know, hel- helping people in doing these observations, and Conan Doyle studying him, you know, once again letting the that those those echoes of what's to come in sherlock holmes exist naturally within that that's a i, I mean a, i guess a cool idea i kind of truthfully I, I guess i didn't really think about what i would do if i was uh working with this idea with dr bell being in the show because truthfully i think that the natural thing to do here is to do that case where he the murder case that seems so exciting that's so interesting sherlock holmes the the, the 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 you know Genesis or, or or I guess the the um the the seed of what was going to sprout into Sherlock Holmes exists within that story so naturally and in such an interesting way, um, and it's you know like Tiberius Tungsten, it's kind of written for you, you know, if you're gonna do these historical things, and and you know I I, I was really interested in like historical I guess fiction, in a way, when I was younger. And, uh, I I think I didn't really, you know, sometimes with these historical things, there are stories that just write themselves and, and, you know, just find a cool way to tell the story and, and, you know, focus on certain themes of the story that, that you want to focus on that convey the narrative you want to, you want to convey. Um, yeah. So, uh, I guess that's, that's kind of what I would do differently. Yeah. Don't do any of this doctor, you know don't do any of the you know the 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 kid you know charlie baker street regular's den oh yeah like focus on focus on um how how does conan doyle find these characters within himself how how do how do those characters naturally come into his his head and instead of calling them out being like Oh you need a you need an antagonist. Oh you need you you need a guy who's who's kind of duller and and not as smart as Sherlock Holmes and all these uh, or people that don't uh, the people around him need to not be uh, aware or or or, or um, appreciative of, of what their minds are capable of so that, you know, Sherlock Holmes has a more accentuated he seems so much smarter. Oh wow. He seems so much smarter compared to them. Um instead of calling those things out directly, have it exist naturally within the narrative because that's so much cooler, you know It's so much cooler if if Conan Doyle is is working this case and um, briefly he you know meets a guy on uh, who who was somewhat uh, the, the, he's working with a guy briefly, just briefly on on the case and maybe this guy sort of takes on a natural, the natural spirit of john watson and instead of being like i think (laughs) they're working together and suddenly having it be like i think i'm going to write this man into my play and i'm going to name him john watson have it just be that have it just be that that sort of have the relationship exist in a similar way so that it kind of feels like that and we just feel those things that are that are yet to come down the line with sherlock holmes that's so much cooler um, <laughs> it's just it's 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 so goofy. 34 pages. I know I I said in the last episode that the page count doesn't doesn't really you know matter depending on like the show, but like this is one of those shows where 34 pages is absolutely ridiculous. 34 pages and 6,363 words of absolutely nothing, of no conflict, no you know character progression. You know what is what does anyone learn here? Conan Doyle doesn't learn anything. Yeah, I mean he does l- learn you know how to be observant uh stage entirely apparently but I guess he learns it um and you know he writes his characters there's development I guess there but not really for Conan Doyle himself and Dr. Bell I guess develops in that th- their relationship develops in that I'm talking about development again which is kind of like you know but it, I feel like it's important Dr. Bell develop their relationship develops. Dr. Bell becomes closer to Conan Doyle. He he I guess opens himself up a little bit. So in that way, like I guess like it's it's odd cuz in in a weird way, Dr. Bell almost seems like he's the protagonist of the show and not Conan Doyle. Um which is fair, I guess you could that's a fair argument. It's just kind of odd cuz I don't think that's what I was going for cuz it's called Mr. Doyle and the Doctor, which implies that Doyle is the the main character, the protagonist. I don't know. Pretty weird, weird show. Nothing really happens. It's a whole lot of nothing, as a lot of these shows were, uh, when I was writing them back then. It's still goofy, goofy stuff. I can't, I can't get over the second Boer War. That's so ridiculous. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I guess that's that. That's um, that's Mr. Doyle and the Doctor. May it, uh, may it rest as as easily as, uh, (laughs) decorated military hero Lord Baden-Powell now rests with his family on the beach, miraculously healed by Dr. Bell after his his terrible, terrible, uh, injury. (laughs) Um... Yeah, uh, so that's, that's that. Uh, uh, make sure to vote on the, the poll for next week's episode. Uh, and uh, th- thank you for listening. <laughs> uh, we will uh, pick it up next week with another show that is hopefully a little more eventful than this one. So thank you all for listening and goodbye.